Mozet, and welcome to Winner Take All. Very pleased to be joined by a special guest today. We're going to talk about why independent platforms are the future, and I've got RightForge founding partner Chris Bedford with us. Chris, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about RightForge. What is it, and how is it kind of fighting the fight to uh, to fight back against big tech and win here? Absolutely. So we're we're an all service internet company, but our real base is internet infrastructure, the servers, the things that all the websites run on. Your audience, I'm sure, is really familiar with that. More tech savvy audience. We were founded just a little bit over a year ago when uh, it was a kind of a whirlwind after the January 6th riot. I'd been covering that down uh, as a reporter down in the Capitol. And I had a bunch of friends who were involved in technology, and a number of them, actually, their businesses have been smashed by COVID policies. They'd been, on a, they'd been driven out of business by this or that. But there's a really intelligent group of folks who were gathered here in, uh, and in D.C. at that time. And suddenly there was a big whirlwind of change. First, we saw President Trump kicked off of Twitter. This is a freely elected leader of the free world. It doesn't matter uh, what your politics are. It's someone who generally we think should have a microphone. But much more than that, was the days after when Parler became the number one downloaded application in the world. And we saw them banned from the Apple Store, banned from the Microsoft uh, Google Play Store. And then shortly after that, even more ground-shakingly, we saw Amazon Web Services deplatform them, kick them off of their servers. This, this to me was significantly deeper than any of the things that we'd seen before, the shadow banning, the kicking off of social media, even the denial of Google Ads, which I thought was a really bad development. But Silicon Valley and big tech have been marching toward this for years. So these guys who are here, who are you know, much smarter guys than I am, were, had been discussing for years, well, when is this going to get to the servers? When is this going to go to the very basics? When is this going to go to the ground that we build on? And for years, we'd heard the mantra from different folks in tech and defenders of big tech that if you don't like something, build, build your own. And that really is the American dream. If you think you can do something better or you don't like the way someone's doing it, go build your own. Well, that, that moment in January was the day that that American dream just got shot in public. I mean, shot on Fifth Avenue and said, yeah, you can build your own, but we might destroy your business at the time of your biggest growth because we don't like you. And, and based it on entirely scurrilous reasons, which turned out to spurious reasons that turned out to not be true or borne out by fact at all. So, and, and meanwhile, we saw the Washington Post, CNN, New York Times, all of them cheering this on, like it was a good thing. And politics aside, we thought, it, the weaponization, the politicization of internet infrastructure was an extremely dangerous place to be. And we were witnessing at the same time a very rare thing when a completely dominant industry that controls the entire market is suddenly deciding, ah, I don't really need 30% of my customer base. I don't need 40% of them. They can just go away. I don't like them. So we saw a real market in there. And the good, the good news for us and the good news for, the, for freedom in the United States is that this, this isn't patented technology. It's difficult. It takes, a lot of, it takes a lot of brain power. It takes a lot of capital, but it's not patented. So we got to work right away and started uh, our, our, our CEO, Martin Avila, driving down in North Carolina to meet up with some former tech guys he'd worked with back in the Ron Paul money bomb days and the Tea Party tech days. He got together with those guys. They got right to work. And we've expanded since then to six continents, uh, approaching 40 different data locations. Uh, and it's been a really wild ride. In just uh, roughly a year's time, uh, standing up this infrastructure business, raising a few million dollars, right, um, to, to, to kind of get the, the initial product out the door. Um, and you've had some, some notable uh, client uh, signups, right? Um, anything there you can share? Yeah, so I admit a lot of our clients do like to remain private because the ones that we have been dealing with this first year 
when we're triaging are the ones who are actually really in danger of being canceled at any moment. But one I can talk about is TMTG, Trump Media and Technology Group, and their new website that they're launching right now in a beta, Truth Social, which is an answer to a Twitter, or at least that's, that's the intention of social media website for folks that won't be moderated based on those kind of politics. Uh, that's it had been an extremely exciting group to be working with. And I admit that we did not expect in our first year, even though we were, we were founded based on that whirlwind of attacking Trump and attacking those that were seen as being maybe too close to him, or, or at least not mean enough to him even. Um, but we didn't expect to have him as a client in the first year. So that was a real excellent moment and an intimidating moment at the same time. We have to say, well, can we do this? Well, of course we can do this. Just say goodbye to sleeping at night. And uh, this is a chance of a lifetime. And it's really the reason why we were founded to be able to put up people like this, that Amazon Web Services and their friends would never want to host. So it's, it's, it's been exciting. And we're looking forward to being a major part of that launch in the next few weeks. There's a press release that Rumble uh, or that, um, you know, True Social had selected Rumble uh, for their cloud hosting. And, you know, Rumble's a public company. And I guess so is True Social. And so that caused a lot of fervor in, in the markets. But seems like Rumble's only maybe one part, maybe the smaller part of the True Social uh, kind of cloud hosting package. Exactly. Rumble's a part of it. They're part of that new kind of free uh, internet sphere that's being grown up, the second internet. They're working very closely with True Social to do their video uh, aspect of all the tweets. And also they're doing a percentage of, of their hosting, but we are the, we are the major hosts right now. Uh, Rumble's, Rumble's working on building a cloud, but they're still in, in the early stages of it. Good to see that uh, there are rising alternatives. Um, I mean, your company, there's actually multiple lines here, right? There's, there's one thing which is also ridiculous, and we've talked about how Facebook and Google and these, these content platform monopolies have completely abused their core premise as a platform, which is to connect people to facilitate the exchange of ideas and, and information, right? And by becoming a 1984 thought police that hates their users, you know, we've actually now seen that Facebook is not impenetrable as we saw their stock collapse 20% just, you know, a week or two ago, right? That's in the world of social media and content. And obviously, you know, there are some things that do need to be taken down off of the internet. Um, if it's violating the law and, and so on and so forth. And there, there's examples of kind of free speech content, social media platforms that are out there, Gab and others that we've covered on the show, you know, that have very clearly figured out how to kind of promote free speech, but recognize some boundaries where you're, you're actually not being a content moderator, which is really what Facebook and the, and the large kind of content social media platforms have become, right? So, I mean... That's one piece of this, right? But then you guys are in the infrastructure domain, there's an even higher threshold, right? Because you don't have, you know, you know, you don't have like user-generated content just flowing around on your platform, right? Like the idea that there that these companies 13 months ago took Parler off and and others have kind of deplatformed others is so ridiculous and yeah just a testament to you know to just not only a violation of what it means to be a platform business model just violation of what it means to have free speech and and to really just be an american 
you would have thought that that was just such a, a line that would not have been crossed. So I'm with you. And just it was it was just so shocking to see. It takes a lot to shock at this point, day and age. But that one, exactly like you said, was holy smokes. I can't believe it. And it didn't stop with Parler. We saw Texas Right to Life deplatformed, a, a small Christian activist group deplatformed uh, or kicked off their servers just a few months later because they they're on the wrong side of, I guess, the regime on, on that issue when, when, the, when the law came down. And exactly to your point, Silicon Valley began as a place with the promise of connecting us and broadening our minds and sharing of ideas. And, and you could talk to your grandmother uh, over Facebook, or you could keep in touch with friends from high school, or you can learn about new ideas, or you can organize activism, even in countries that may not want you to do that. And it's since completely changed, where now you've got the incoming CEOs and new people like at Twitter, et cetera, who are saying, hold on a second, why, why would we value the First Amendment? Why would we value that? Well, the reason why we value the First Amendment is because it made possible this great country of ours. When you when you ban ideas, you you make them often more dangerous, you make them more dark, you make them more sinister. The best thing you could do is drag these awful things out into the light. Uh, and I do also say it's great to be in the hosting area of this right now because I, I do not envy the, those folks who have to come up with how are we going to moderate content. <laughs> right. That seems like a, night, a Byzantine nightmare of different rules. And our rules generally will just rely on the wisdom of our ancestors. What rules have worked for us for centuries? So built into our corporate documents, we have the Bill of Rights, just a basic aspect of American freedoms. And sure, there are lots of different things on the internet that I don't like at all. I'm a Catholic, uh, kind of conservative guy. I, I don't like a lot of the things that I even see on billboards or an advertisement. But if there's a problem with that, that's not up to me to take care of. That's up to the laws passed by our Congress the people who we elect, if they want to say no more to this, then they can do that. And, if, and if, if the government wants to come and say, hey, take that site down or take this site down like the Canadian government is trying to do right now, we're not just going to do that. We're going to say, all right, your lawyers talk to our lawyers and we're going to figure out this thing because we want to follow the law. We don't want illegal content being used on our, on, on our servers. But at the same time, we're not going to let the mob decide what that law is. Internet servers are essentially the highway that it's what the cars drive on. It's what everyone moves on. And a lot of people use that to visit grandma or to go to school or to get to work or to pick up their kids or to go to the gym, get groceries. Other people use that to traffic drugs. Other people use that to escape from bank robberies. But you can't just rip up the highway and say, no, we are the foundation. So we, we understand it. I mean, man is a fallen, a fallen creature. There will be bad things out there. It's not up to us to solve man's fallen nature. And that's just the kind of what we're seeing with big tech right now is an ancient, ancient folly that men have fallen into time and time again, which is they think, all right, well, I've reached the zenith of my power. I've reached the zenith of my wisdom. Now I can decide what people are allowed to say. Now I can decide what's good and what's bad. And every single time it just leads to horrible, horrible endings. You're never going to get it right. And uh, once you open Pandora's box, you can't close it. Can't put that genie back in the bottle. The silver lining of this is that, I mean, <laughs> who, who would have thought, who would have thought you could start an infrastructure company in, you know, in the age of the 2020s and, and actually go and, and sign up a bunch of clients and raise millions of dollars, <laughs> you know, when you have such giant stalwarts out there, the AWS, the Azure, the Google Cloud, I mean, the list goes Oracle now. List goes on and on and on. But these, I mean, what I think are actually strategic missteps by them, um, because it is opening up the door for competition to come in. 
Because a lot of companies don't agree, a lot of people and companies and business owners and decision makers don't agree with these actions, let alone if it's legal or not, which I think, you know, is a whole other story. But I think over the coming years, we'll see companies like yourself. And I think now, you know, there's already some others that are seeing this as an opportunity to provide this infrastructure as a service capability because of what I think are these strategic missteps, right? It's, it's kind of wild to see. When I first got this going, my, my dad turned to me and said, you know, these big guys are going to crush you. They're not going to let you do this. And I said, I had to point out, it's, a, it's really weird right now. We could sign up groups like TMTG or, or Texas United for Life, and they will say, thank you. They're not competing with us for Trump's business. They want to stay as far away from that as possible. They, they don't want the conflict. They don't want to upset their employees. They don't want the New York Times coming at them. They just, they're actively handing away their business just because they don't agree with the politics. You know, and with the major ones, there's a, it's, there's a difference out there in Silicon Valley. There are people like Jack Dorsey and Jeff Bezos who are probably true believers, true woke believers. There's guys like Zuckerberg who's just kind of a captive along for the ride, running from the mob back and forth. Not really, not, I don't, he doesn't strike me as a true believer. And then there are these other smaller companies that we've had to work with. And we had some tough experiences with the first, in the first few months and had to choose our partners more carefully sometimes. But there are companies where they say, hey, guys, I believe in everything you're doing. I want to help. I want to help defend this country. But I got news for you. If my program engineers or my, my, my software engineers see this stuff coming across, they're going to resign. And I've got 10 employees. I can't lose that in the middle of a fight. So there's this weird system where the media... The Twitter mob and everyone. Now the actual we see this weird thing with the federal government asking for more censorship and employees coming up from the bottom. So these 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 entrepreneurs are stuck in a really hard place. Some of them are true believers. Some of them are completely captive. Some of them are just clueless. And it takes it takes a lot of forethought and a, an anxiousness for the fray to quote Calvin Coolidge to really be willing to just jump in there and say we're probably going to be hated. Uh, we're probably going to be compared to January 6th or insurrectionists or this or that. But we're, what we're just trying to do here is, is give freedom of internet. I don't want a right-wing internet. I, I don't want a left-wing internet. I want a Bill of Rights internet that's got everyone from, from Elon Musk to Glenn Greenwald to Tucker Carlson to Donald Trump. I mean, who would have thought those guys would be in the same group together? But all of them are persona non grata at some point in this, in this new world that we're creating. And it's important that we maintain that freedom. And we need the internet infrastructure too, because we're, well, social media has gotten a lot of the glitz and glamour. It's out in the public. It's gotten a lot of the media attention. There are significantly darker things moving in this, in this tech world censorship and politicization where, for example, after the riot that we saw at the Capitol, uh, basic run-of-the-mill Republican groups were threatened by the companies that helped run their human resources internally, the companies that run their payroll. They were threatened with the ability to swipe credit cards with Stripe or to accept donations. Uh, I think MailChimp threatened a bunch of companies, said you can no longer send out emails. Uh, we see banks that won't lend to different people, banks that won't give to American energy sector or make loans to American gun manufacturers, things that are protected by the Second Amendment. We've seen this politicization go well beyond your ability to tweet and actually your ability to do financial transactions or to reach your customers or to accept donations. In order to get that, we need to actually build this second infrastructure. And people do need to be careful because there, since there is such a market opportunity uh, and it is so politicized, there are certainly going to be a lot of folks that come out there, put up some cruddy foreign product, slap a MAGA sticker on it, and people are going to end up pretty upset about that whole thing. But so it takes real technical prowess. And fortunately for us and for a couple of companies out there that are doing good work, 
once we got started, once we started talking to the press, we got the most random phone calls and, and, and LinkedIn messages and signals from folks. I was in their office of the day when we got, one guy said, I read about you in the newspaper. I think it's really interesting. I work on supercomputers for the government. And uh, I, I think I'd like to join your guys' company and do some good. So it's, it's people come out of the woodwork and it's been fun. So, you know, I think that's the interesting thing is Ben Thompson from Stratechery. He interviewed some of these like CEO of Stripe and some of these other infrastructure, you know, Brad Smith, Microsoft. And one of the things that I think on multiple occasions, some of those CEOs mentioned was basically, you know, either implicitly or explicitly pointed out the pressure that they ultimately all caved to, not just from external, but internal. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and the fact that, you know, the employee bases of these companies have forgotten, frankly, what it means to be an American. And, you know, if you really understand the Bill of Rights that you're talking about is in your corporate documents, if you really want to understand what it means to, to promote free speech or just to allow free speech, right? Like you would view the actions, particularly of the past 13 months, but even longer than that. We've been covering on the show for years how YouTube, even before this has all gotten political and partisan, we've had people from the crypto industry on the show, right? Who were banned and taken off YouTube because YouTube didn't want them talking about crypto, lost hundreds of thousands of followers, right? We had the prime minister of East Turkestan uh, on the show just recently leading up to the, uh, to the Olympics in Beijing, which is the province in China where the Uyghurs are, talking about how Facebook won't run his ads, but they'll run China's ads, right? And so you've seen this nonpartisan, this nonpolitical bias, thought censorship for years, even, even you know, prior to the past couple of years in particular, where it's really just gotten out of control. Brendan Eich fired from Mozilla Firefox. I mean, that, how long ago was that? Like a decade? Because he gave, to the, he, he gave a private donation to, to defend marriage in California, fired from a company that he founded. And you're right. These people are held captive to their employees. I mean, when, when, when Facebook was, was, power of Facebook was harnessed by President Barack Obama's campaign, people wrote books about it, how smart they were. It was so genius. It was incredible. And it was. It was super impressive what they had done. The next year or the, or the next election when Donald Trump or eight years later when Donald Trump did a similar thing, by the way, not even quite as effective as a lot of what the Obama, uh, Obama team had done, they were suddenly a villain and Facebook needed to be destroyed. You see Google employees that, whether or not that's right or wrong, don't want to work with the Pentagon, refuse to work on their contracts, but are perfectly willing to work with China. And that's another country, that's another uh, group that these big tech companies and a lot of American corporations are absolutely beholden to. They're beholden to their employees. They're beholden to the executive government and all the pressures from Congress. And they're beholden to China. If you're, if you're a Facebook and you, you think you're an American company, they don't really think of themselves as an American company. Their biggest business is growing overseas. That's where their market's going to be. It's a similar thing we see with a lot of American corporations where they look at us as something that, you know, it's just, yeah, sure, we take advantage of your freedom. We take advantage of your roads. We take advantage of your defense and your control of the seas. We take advantage of your technology, of your employees and your prowess and your education. At the end of the day, they consider themselves beholden to companies like China. You see Amazon out there trying to, they've, they've banned reviews that were negative uh, of the Chairman Z's book. They're basically just propaganda out there. They, they want to keep that safe. The, the, there are so many different forces that are pushing against big tech. They don't have the spine or the will or the heart to push back, even though they absolutely could. 
And it's, it's been a disastrous thing for the American people because every one of those forces, like you said, either doesn't understand the Bill of Rights or has open disdain for it. And I think it's an important thing to a free and prosperous and happy and peaceful society that that, that, that Bill of Rights is maintained and respected. I think they, they being, you know, big tech, uh, big government, underestimate, you know, the size and the fervor in the American public that vehemently disagree with their behavior, their actions. You've seen it. We've covered it on the show prior to having you on. We've covered it primarily in the arena of these content and social media platforms that have tens of millions of users, like actually like 30 plus million users. And they have like 10 full-time employees, right? Um, that was that was Instagram getting bought for a billion dollars like 10 years ago, right? I mean, now the VCs won't fund these companies because, you know, they don't, you know, it's for, for a lot of the same reasons we're talking about. They don't want to support it. They don't want to be affiliated with it, whatever, whatever. Their LPs, their employees, et cetera, don't want to promote it. You know, you were talking about some of the partners uh, that, you know, maybe the, you know, the, the CEO, someone wanted to work with you, but they just said, oh, okay, we couldn't do it. What are the other challenges that you see today on your roadmap? Right. Is it like from from an investor standpoint, you know, are people just not taking your calls, for example, or, um, I, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, what, what other stuff do you see in your perch, which now that you've been in this for a year plus, it's kind of just like, wow, wow. I mean, would have never thought that'd be a thing, but it is. Well, there are a couple of things that challenges that we face, and some of them I've been happily surprised at how well they've gone. Uh, getting people that you really trust working in your company when you're at a company like this and you're working with clients that are very sensitive, you need folks that really do agree with your mission. Uh, that can be sometimes difficult, but we were graced. I mean, Silicon Valley is not filled with a bunch of Donald Trump fans, but it is filled with a lot of Ron Paul fans, a lot of more libertarian types who, at the end of the day, the, their companies were shocked when they said, I'm resigning to go join the startup. These were key players in those companies, and the, people, and the companies they left could not believe it. They're like, oh, you never shared political ideas before. It's like, well, I felt like I couldn't. But now I do have them, and I think we're working on the wrong side. Investment, fortunately, has been easier. Uh, it takes a minute to identify those millionaires and billionaires who, ha who have uh, more freedom of speech-leaning uh, principles, more libertarian or more conservative, or more just, uh, I, like the I like the Bill of Rights to the left uh, ideas. But the good news is once you tap into some of those guys, they're, they're very excited, and they, they want to connect you with all of their friends. And, well, I've got this guy. And there are all these... In, whether you're in New York City or San Francisco or Los Angeles, uh, there's these, these tight-knit groups of people that have formed like-minded folks who used to live in New York. I live in D.C. You find the people who you generally agree with, and everyone generally wants to stay quiet. You can't talk about it at the neighborhood cookout, your politics or anything, but they all know each other, wink, wink, nod, nod. So they pull each other in, which has been fantastic. And I've been meeting some really excited people. Uh, billionaires are an eccentric bunch, I'll tell you. The... Uh, Another one of our, I think, challenges, which this one, this one has been one that we're still working on, is that the combination of people don't like to think about internet infrastructure. I, I think most of the American public had never really thought about servers until Parler, and still a lot of folks are trying to figure out exactly what that is. If you're running a company that's successful, running a conservative news site, or even a smaller site, or, or a libertarian site, or a, a doctor's site that talks about COVID in a way that Amazon might not like, you don't want to think about your servers. Everything's working. Everything's fine. Why would I sell? Why would I move? We're coming up to these folks and saying, hey, we'll do all the moving for you. We'll set up an exact clone of your site. 
you can have your guys test it and we'll just make that switch. We'll do everything for you. But there's a, a lethargy amongst folks who say, well, I don't know. I've worked with these guys for 10 years. They seem fine. And I point out, hey, well, they rent their servers from Amazon Web Services that you could be deplatformed at any moment. And you've already come under attack from Google or this or that. But they'll say that battles in the distance. It sounds like a lot of work. So CTOs and, and, and a lot of CEOs will kind of outsource that thinking to CTOs. And, and CTOs, some of them are phenomenal people. And some of them just really don't want to be bothered. <laughs> they don't want to work. They have their thing. It does the thing. Everything's fine. So it takes um, cataclysmic events like we saw with Texas Right to Life. We saw with Parler that to really move people. And every time one happens, we're able to budge new CEOs like, okay, now it's time to go because I don't want to be in that position. Uh, unfortunately for America, but fortunately for us, those kind of cataclysmic news events are becoming significantly more frequent. You don't have to wait a year in between every one of them. But those are the sorts of things that have really been an uh, uh, impetus to action for a lot of these CEOs. And that's one of the struggles that we're working with right now. If you are running a business or a nonprofit or whatever, who could come into the line of fire uh, that are in these sensitive areas, you know, you know who you are, like, you know, you want to be proactive. Oh, maybe the costs of switching and the pain in this. But I mean, those switching costs and those pains are nothing compared to the day the music died. Right. Exactly. Oh. It's like <laughs> there's no comparison there. Then, you know, so so whatever your TAM is for that, that's a pretty good TAM. Then you got another audience, which is, OK, who are the businesses like, for example, ours, um, which I don't even I don't I mean, I think we use AWS not for our site, but maybe just like hacking around for some random things. Right. But just kind of saying, well, I just don't agree with big tech, you mm -hmm. know, and I want to support uh, the up and coming. Right. I want to support the underdog, which I think, you know, you look at that market and it's huge. And yeah. I think, you know, maybe maybe right now, given the size of the company, you know, obviously you're probably focused on the first bucket, but I think maybe once you break through one or two barriers of size, scale, notoriety, whatever, you know, some of the, the tooling, right. Which, which, yeah, I mean, that's what these companies have been investing literally billions of dollars is kind of here are the key features and tools, um, that is going to make, you know, doing X or Y really easy or seamless. I mean, at one point, maybe you do have the billions of dollars, but until then, right. Like as you move up that curve, um, you know, we would be a great example to say, and I've done this with other services where I've seen the actions and behaviors of other service providers just not align with, uh, you know, freedom um, and said, yeah, we're switching like we're out of here. And yeah, it's been painful, but it's just like, no, I'm not we're not going to pay that company money. Um, and uh, and it, and it's just, you know, I mean, you just got to make the decision. But I, but I mean, it's amazing that this is now happening in infrastructure. I love it. I mean, and exactly to your point, right now, the customers that we're dealing with are probably 90% those who are at immediate risk of cancellation and 10% those who just don't like big tech and don't like their values. But the customers who are in the queue waiting, who, who've expressed interest, who've reached out to us, we haven't had the personnel yet, as we're scaling up to deal with, uh, are probably 90% people who just don't like big tech uh, or, or even higher than that. Folks that don't want to send their money to companies that they find are completely aligned against our national interests and against their values, against our freedoms. Uh, it's a sad thing because tech has become so integrated in our lives where everything, your phone is tracking you, sure, but everyone says, I don't want my phone to track me, but they sure like Google and Apple Maps when they want to find something. So there's, it's become integrated in our lives. But now for the first time in the last couple of years, maybe this should have happened 10 years ago, 
we've really been forced to become discerning customers and educated customers. Just like you said, where you find different companies like, you know what? I don't like the way my bank just did that. I don't like that they cut off this customer. I don't like that this internet service just did this. I'm going to switch. I want to stop sending them money. It's really easy and it's really comfortable to just float in a cloud of tech companies that hate you. They make your life easier. That's why they're so big. But if you, in order to become a discerning customer, it does take a lot of homework, but it is worth it. It really does make you feel better. And fortunately for those folks who are working with RightForge, we've got the team on board that makes it so it's incredibly easy to get those folks over and switch them up. And if you guys are ever interested, we can talk about that. I mean, it, it, it's just a no-brainer. And that's, I think, what these companies will learn. They're just, they're, I mean, they're monopolies so that they can, they can make these decisions and kind of uh, ignore the consequences, even though it's, it's the wrong strategic de- decision to make. But eventually they're going to wake up and, and realize wow, we really messed up. And I think that's what we saw with Facebook a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I think, these, I mean, they are making a wrong decision. It goes not, it's, it doesn't just go against the ideas of capitalism, which are fine, but it goes against responsible capitalism and it goes against the basic ideas of the United States. And I think these companies are starting to look around and they're really starting to get worried. You can't, I mean, you can, you can decide that half the country are clients that you aren't interested in dealing with, but it seems like a very foolish business decision. And at the same time, I don't think this is going to slow down quite yet. There are big movements coming out of our business schools and coming out of even even the stock market exchange, where they're talking about rating different companies based on a series of extremely politicized, often left-wing ideas of how they contribute to society, how they do that. If If you're an investor or you're a CEO, you're looking at that thinking, what is going on? Is my whole industry, is the way that my company is valued, the way that I'm traded suddenly going to be at the whim of a group of folks who want me to follow their politics, this wokeness, there's, um, it's tyrannical. It's only going to get worse, which, you know, it has to get worse to get better. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's what keeps me optimistic and positive, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's going to get worse, which is a good thing for your company. So, um, you know, <laughs> I was sitting there thinking that uh, two years ago, I was saying, what are we supposed to do? Build a new internet. And now two years later, I'm thinking we're building the new internet. We're bu- and this is great. And I didn't think it was possible until I met some of these guys and uh, it, it, everything is possible in the United States for, so far right now. And that's what we're fighting for. You know, parallel internet, parallel economy, as you were talking about, right? It started with content, social media, now it's going to infrastructure. It's going to go to payments mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, a whole bunch of other things that have large dominant monopolistic players that are making bad strategic decisions and opening the way for, for companies like RightForge. So, hey, you know, that's, that is the beauty of the American spirit and the American dream, um, despite all of the, you know, the bad things that have had, had to happen to prompt it. But uh, Chris, any, any parting thoughts? been wonderful having you on the show. Oh, this has been absolutely great. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. I think you're exactly right. Unfortunately, we're at a place where we have to build the second economy. But fortunately, we still do have the American spirit. So we're able to do that. We're willing to do that. And I'm looking forward to an economy that is uh, free soon, very soon in the future. Awesome. Well, this is uh, Chris Bedford, founding partner at RightForge. If you don't like, you know, communist (laughs) uh, thought policing infrastructure providers, Go check them out and switch over to RightForge. Um, and he didn't tell me to say that, but that's a genuine plug. So thanks very much for joining us on, on today's show of Winner Take All. We'll talk to you soon.